Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show, and <clears throat> get a chance today to reconnect with a dear friend of the program, great musician, and somebody who's always trying to uh, work on their habitual nature and get closer to their true nature. Keith Kelgo, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, thank you, Jake. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, and long time no talk. You know, um, it's great to have you, man. Um, I just wonder, um, I was just walking downstairs and I saw this book. I had Charles Mingus and it was called uh, Beneath the Underdog. Yes. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I just wonder, like, how much of your in your subconscious or unconscious even how much you still um play music the same kind of music that you played with Andrew White or any of the other cats that you were on the bandstand with like how much of that was just because as a person of color even though you were raised in a white community and you had a very different upbringing you guys are still beneath the underdog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, those experiences um, taught me a lot about those people that I played with, number one. And it taught me a lot about myself as a musician. And, as a, and just because as, I was so young, for for a lot of it, um, I just kind of it just kind of made me more humble. You, you give it? A, can you give? I mean, because you had a unique upbringing, but I mean, you know what I'm talking. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, right. it's like, it's hard enough to be a bandstand musician playing original creative music. Throw on top of the fact that they're a person of color in this country. And it's like, I mean, things have changed, obviously. I mean, you know, people, but, but I guess, I mean, people are, but, but still, it's still like, it's still there. It's always there. Always there. And, and that mentality, depending on where you work, or what city you're working in, it can be even more present. That's right. Um. And, you know, uh, particularly with some of the, even, and I'm talking Baltimore, and I live, you know, and Baltimore is really, for really, not really a black city, okay? Right. It's it's really a blue-collar city. Totally. uh, You know, and and when I played with with Clifford Jordan and Albert Daly and all those cats, I mean, Mike Bensky, who's the guy that ran the club, He's a white guy, but it still had that flavor. I don't know if that's a good word. Uh, <laughs> you mean you explain? What do you mean? The vibe that had that vibe, or what? What do you mean? That that vibe was still kind of there. Yeah. Even the way he, he never treated me bad or anything, but just the neighborhood. You know, when you stepped outside, she <laughs> was like. This is like blue collar white folks, <laughs> you know, and it was kind of odd to have a jazz club full of 
we're really not black people because a lot of black people didn't, didn't even come to Fells Point, you know. Absolutely. At, at, at that at that point, you know, it still was a majority white audience, and that's Baltimore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, that's the whole. <laughs> paradox irony or whatever it is is like the music i mean the music of that we love so much that was created by african americans in this country i mean it basically was consumed by white people uh jewish people i mean uh, eddie harris eddie harris's line was uh, if you're if you're um you're in the news if you're with the jews or something like that you know like basically like it was funded, but you know, it just it's it, so. It, it, there's a whole variety of things going on. I just wonder, in your like, for the for this anniversary tour, I mean, the Blackbirds are obviously like an iconic band that seem to be actually probably gaining in popularity over time, which is remarkable. Um, <clears throat> I just wonder, do you use? What do you use for inspiration now? Because I mean, like you said, these tunes are sort of completely embedded in your language. And so how do you get yourself off on these tours? What do you use for inspiration? Well, it's the fact that as much as, as many times as we've played together, this particular tour has given me the opportunity over this last, since January, Oh, since actually November of last year, a chance to start playing a lot of songs we never played. Wow. When we look at the catalog between Donald and us, it's almost 250 songs involved in that. With, you know, with the Larry Marcel stuff, with Donald stuff. Sure. Stuff, a lot of tunes. And a lot of tunes, was, it was so funny about them, is back in the day, half of this shit we couldn't play no way. You know, wait, wait, so, wait, you couldn't play what? We couldn't play half of it. You know, it sounded horrible. <laughs> and it was terrible. So you mean, you, know? you just, I mean, I want to be clear though, like, these yeah. are things that, that you were able to get it together and cut it in the studio, but it never played live. Yeah, it never played live because, I don't know, we just weren't there yet. I dig. You know? No, I did. I, th- I completely dig, yeah. Yeah, we just weren't there. So a lot of things we stayed away from because no way in hell we was going to go up there and crash and burn on those tunes. <laughs> and so this will be probably, it is the first time that we actually can play this stuff for real. We've come, we've matured as musicians and singers and players and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and now songs that we shied away from, we can play. So that's what's going to be my inspiration for this tour is the fact that tunes like Miss Kane on uh, tunes like Loving You and Music and, and, and Flying High. He never played Flying High. Really? Never. I love the, I lo- those last two you mentioned. I love, man. Yeah. Never played them. Uh, never played them live, you know? And, and so this will give us a chance to play these tunes, you know? And I'm, you know, I, I like, uh, um, what's the song? Dreaming About You, you know, Kevin's song to me. Some of Joe's songs. You know, we're actually able to play this stuff, man. So this is exciting for me. I, I'm like, wow. We I, and we actually play, and I listen back. And I was like, damn it, it almost sounds like the record, you know. And that's my whole goal, really. That's that's, and I know that's kind of kind of goofy, but for me, the closer to the record it is, the better. 
Well, first of all, that's plenty of inspiration. I don't know what the right word is, focus, inspiration uh, for this tour. I mean, you know, I just, I was going through my interview. I just connected with um, Al Cooper, you know, the the founder of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And he was talking about being down in Nashville with Bob Dylan working on Blonde on Blonde. And basically, he would play the chords on like an electric piano and Dylan would just sit there over and over again and sing, he would sing the songs while Al played them on the piano to work them out. And it's more of a folk bag, you know, it was clearly not groove, soul, Blackbird's music. But I mean, when you're like a tune like uh, Flying Flying High or um, can you just talk about one of these new tunes and like maybe how you guys um, have grown enough as musicians and, and how you were able to have you actually, I'm sh- I would assume you've been shedding these songs together. Yeah. Well, what, what, what's been, what, what I think has happened is that we've grown more compassionate mm. about this music. I mean, you know, when you, when we recorded it, you know, it was a lot going on. It was, and it was all new and, you know, we had strings and, about the you know, orchestra, Bird had put all these stuff on it, and you know we just didn't. We were breathing at another pace. Uh, totally. Well, you were you were a little also. I mean, you were consumed with your own things. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we hadn't really, and a lot of the time, a lot of times when we recorded the record, we just basically recorded the tracks. They sent us home. And, you know, we, we heard the record later. We didn't know what else they had put on it. That's interesting. That's fast. So you basically just laid down the... But, like, even yeah. the... Like, you lay, you laid down the rhythm tracks. You never even really heard the vocals record. You yeah. just... You, yeah. Some of them that we... The ones are the ones that we sang. But even those that right. we sang, he would still add some more stuff on it. With Wade Marcus with strings and French horns. Oh, Wade Marcus. Uh, are you kidding yeah. me? These guys are just yeah. the baddest cats, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, we hear... All of this stuff, you know, later, you know, and uh, this is like the, the cornbread earl to me. Now we at least got a chance to. That was one of the songs. Now we've never, we've only played that once. Dude, I, 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 I will, I cannot go to my grave without hearing that live. That, that is the greatest tune. Uh, continue, please. Yes, and so you know, I mean, I sang the, the lead vocal on it and all that. And, uh, you know, and I, I, and I didn't consider, and I never have and never will consider myself a singer, you know, but uh, I was able to sell this message, you know, this story, uh, which has like you know, 100,000 verses to it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, eclectic in its own way, but um, it's really cool. Like now I really can sing it. I can really feel it and play it. And and I just think that that's just been the beauty of the music is that it's 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 not it's it's transitioning within us, you know. Uh, hmm. Even though it's not the same song, but we are certainly looking at it a totally through a total different lens now. We're feeling it from a total different feel, you know. Um, just loving it, man. I need you. You know, they laugh at me because I do this crazy scream at the end. Good. Go as high as possible and go the highest octave as possible. This crazy scream. (laughs) But, you know, at the time, man, I was, you know, 
I was standing on uh, nails, you know, because it was, you know, I, you know, Bird just put me out. They said, man, go ahead. And the funny part about song, Kevin, Tony's sister, Cheryl, wrote the words. And that song must have nine verses on it. <laughs> okay. It was like a That's tune, ins- you know? Yeah, right. It's like, a, it's like a Dylan tune, yeah. And it just went on and on and on and on. And, and, but the vibe is there. And we played it. We, we matter of fact, we rehearsed it last, the beginning of this month. Because we were rehearsed once a month uh, at my house. And, man, like the, all the cast are like, yes, let's do this, you know? So oh, my God, this is great. So much fun. It's just so nice to hear your voice again, Brother Kilgo. I, um, you know, where, where, you know, you're. We did a whole bunch of interviews um, last year, maybe a year or two, and I just wonder, um, you know, how your, you know, the way the the way you've evolved, matured, had become more compassionate. Uh, more open to being vulnerable. Um, I just wonder how your dad would have viewed uh, this kind of evolution of of the band. He was a very opinionated guy. Um, he had very high standards. Um, he played with a lot of the masters, even though he wasn't a professional musician, so to speak. And he would tell you straight, I mean, he didn't want to hear the, I'm pretty sure he's the one, he didn't want to hear Hendrix and all that jamming that was going on downstairs in the basement. I could be wrong about that. But, no, he did not. He, yeah, so I mean, would, would in, in a perfect world, would he be like, son, it's a time for a new bag? Or would he say, this is exactly what it's about in terms of dusting off tunes you've never played and just becoming more comfortable with the new grooves of these tunes. Well, I mean, what he, and he, and my father did come to see us. Uh, he and my mom came to see us. We played a, what was it? Uh, just jazz. Hmm. And Phil, uh, a long time ago. And, and uh, where was that? Was he, 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 were you guys playing like the Bijou cafe ever or anything like yeah, that? Oh my God. Kelgo, you gotta be kidding me, dude. Yeah, we played the Bijou, we played Just Jazz, we played the Hippodrome, mm. uh, the Schubert Theater. We played in Philly quite a bit. And um, like I said, my mom and dad drove up for that. And and I think, and we were still playing more of Donald Bird's style sure. stuff at that time. But, I mean, what he was saying now is that if we've been playing it this long, it's about time we got it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's your dad, right? That's him, dude. He buy you a cheeseburger and a Coke and sit you down next to Miles in the club, dude, you know? Yeah, he'd say, oh, well, finally. Hey, how long was it going to take you, huh? Um, but I think he'd be really uh, impressed and happy that we stuck out. Uh, you know, 50 years. And I swear, man, it, 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 and I hope it feels like this all the way to the end. It, it don't feel like it. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like these years have evolved, just kind of just going by and by, and everybody's, you know, doing what they do. But it, it doesn't feel like, you know, you, you're waiting for the bell to ring or, you know, you're waiting for the whistle to, 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 to blow to get off work or whatever. This is kind of the train ride that we're on and that we are happy about being on it. And we're going to ride it to the end of the line. That's just how we're going to do it. 
<clears throat> breaking down the <laughs> 1973, the iconic Blackbird self-titled album came out. I guess that's a Van Gogh painting on it. I can't remember. I always yes, yes. yes. My, one of my favorite paintings. Perk Jacobs, all these cats. It was just the the nastiest record. Um, can you just take us through uh, briefly, like the chronology of the Blackbirds? I mean, you haven't played for fifty years straight. There's been quite a few hiatuses in there. Can you just break down the chronology of? Because maybe that's why it doesn't feel like fifty years because you haven't been playing exactly for total fifty yeah. years. Yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much what, but. but when we started out like that with some 73, uh, you know, it, we really started <clears throat> before that, but right. you know, ordered the record, that's when it came out. But we would play gigs, man, for three weeks at one place, man, the Burning Spear in Detroit, the something else in, in Chicago. <sighs> These gigs were like, like Philly. We'd play in Philly for two weeks, you know? Oh, it's and, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, every night, and 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 so we were really up on our craft, on our chops, because you know, I mean, you know, you play every day, every night, and you rehearse every day. I mean, you know, you, it was really a developmental part that really, I think, drove us and why we were able to write what we wrote. Because we did all the writing primarily either at rehearsal or when we stayed over in L.A. with Bird in his house. So, you know, we always were moving and writing and playing and coming up with new grooves and blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh. And so it was a constant thing. And then once the Blackbirds kind of, we kind of we separated, uh, we still worked. Because Charlie Graziano, who was our manager with Bird, became my manager without Bird, you know, whatever that was about. But uh, we still worked. We played St. Louis, Detroit, da 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 da. But it wasn't the same thing because Bird was gone. Okay. It, so what you're, I'm, I'm curious. So the the Burning Spear, the two we can get when when you guys started in '73, Bird was on those tours. Yes. Okay. So wh when would Gra when did Graziano? disassociate with bird what year was that that was in 77 okay so then it wasn't the same continue it wasn't the same because it wasn't the same because now <sighs> i was making the decisions <laughs> brother kilgo in charge of the decisions right. yeah but the reason i was making decisions because bird always made me let me Pick the music for the show. Right, right. Well, he was already sort of passing the torch, so to speak. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And he was me out there doing this thing on 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 uh, soft and easy, and the, the, having the girls come up on the stage. Oh, I mean, I did all that kind of crazy stuff, you know. And taking these long drum solos where I had named each one of my drums, you know, a girl's name, Thomas, Flo. <laughs> 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 Oh, come on, man. I'm trying to tell you, it was wacky, Wally. Wacky. And, you know, so he knew I could do it. It wasn't that. It was no question about it, you know? Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and the guys were, were had the faith in me that I could do it because, you know, that's always how, how I was made. That's how I was wired, you know? And so, but the dynamic changed when Bert wasn't there because it's like your teacher's gone now, okay? Right. So you're in charge of the class. So how, what are we doing? You know, what's the lesson plan for today? Or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it, it evolved even further. 
because now <clears throat> we didn't have to. There wasn't no bidding for who got what song or what. If you got a good song, we, we recorded. You know, right. when we were with George Duke, it wasn't a matter of what song it was like. You know, we had this foray with Diodato for a while. You know, he came to the house and we gave, we sent him like I know we sent him man about thirty songs, right? And he got back to us like a couple of weeks later. He only liked four. Of them. Right. Okay. Very opinionated. I've interviewed that cat. Very opinionated cat. Yeah. 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 We were like, okay, well, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're out. Okay. You're gone, hey, brother. Yeah. yeah. Hey, like, you go ahead and do, do you. you. You did good with cool and the gang. I guess it's just the one. And that was the whole thing. And I think that was the whole thing with the producers hmm. that we that we encountered. We were a basement garage band that's what we were we were not it wasn't nobody came down with no sheet music and hit with chord and all this oh, shit. i love this yeah you were you were you were just the greasiest basement band around dude yeah we were just a basement band and so when we got with george and we got well with Diodato, those kind of guys they, they just didn't understand that and i don't think if you're not from that cut you won't you know, if you're a good conceptualist, then you you get it. Like a guy like Quincy Jones, I'm sure, would get it. He said, well, this is where these guys do. But just let them play. You know? Absolutely. Just, yeah, right, right. Don't, don't try to organize the shit, man. Just let them play. And, you know, they play. And, and, and so, uh, even though we have some good stuff on Better Days, in which it's even, like, again, the music has evolved. I mean, George is an excellent producer. You know, he had whatever his situation was going on. But, you know, and we didn't, at the time, we were kind of butt heads because the budget and it was the politics was going on. But when I listen back to the song, the songs were good, but it wasn't in the Blackbirds. Explain, I'm surprised, like Diodato, you know, there's no disputing that, uh, I mean, the guy was working with Klaus Ogerman and Sinatra, uh, you know, but I mean, like, but, but I'm surprised Duke... Maybe he was going through something in his life. I'm just saying I'm surprised that that he wasn't more – he was familiar with that basement. I mean, Cannonball's bands were basement bands. Yeah, but, I mean, he was more – As a producer, uh, it's different. I, 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 I understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as a producer. I mean, it's clean. It's recorded. Tommy Vicari, I mean, you know, it's recorded really well. It's mixed really well. It's pretty good balance on things, the vocals, so on and so forth. But it's too pretty for the Blackbirds. I dig, man. Oh, ain't no, ain't no grease, ain't no chicken bones. <laughs> no, no, no ham hocks and collard no grease. Yeah, I get it, man. It's in it. You know, it's it's pristine. It's it's as if we were playing for the queen. You know uh, I mean, that. You know it? that, uh, dude. I'd wind up staring at the wall with that. You know, give me a break. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's how it was perceived by the, by the, the audience. They've grown into it now because tons of generations have passed since that record was was out. So they didn't really have the necessary background. But if you listen to City Life and you listen to Better Days, you can t- totally tell the whole the whole story is told right there. What's interesting, though, <laughs> you know, and we're it's funny because I'm backed up against the clock here because I got Joe coming up at the top of the hour. But what's interesting. And I want you to think about this is like, I just remember a lot of the studio sharks in, in Los Angeles and New York. I mean, they're, they openly acknowledge that 
Nobody, there was no methodology on how to make a record until 1976. At that point, there became a template that became obsessive and people followed it. But before that, it was basically, hey, do it. Whatever, you know, let's just make it sound real and authentic. But there was no uh, template or there was nothing in writing about how. And it's just funny because those the albums you talked about, uh, the, the early albums just burned with authenticity. And, and then the later albums became maybe a little bit more sterile. I don't know what the right word is. And, and the thing that... Yeah, it, it became sterile, in my opinion, because dirt was no longer acceptable. You nailed it. You nailed it. Dirt was no longer acceptable. We don't, we're sweeping this up. we polishing this. And which is okay, you know, but I just think some of the joy and some of the passion just gets lost. When you're trying to make it so pristine, you know. It's no, you're nailing, dude. Come on, man. That's ninety nine percent of people today. Producers suck all the soul out because we have the technology to do it, and they don't even know they're doing it. Yes, yes, yes. And, and so it doesn't become. It just doesn't have the. I mean, that's why they're going back to vinyl, for instance, because yeah. see. <laughs> And you know, whatever MP3s and MP3s. no, they're all it's all compressed, hyper compression. Yeah. yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's all it's life. It's lifeless to me. It's, lifeless. It's not, it, no, no pulse. No grease. No chicken pulse. bones. Yeah, I dig. Yeah, it's like on, when you when you croak in the hospital. <laughs> straight line. You know. Never for not for a long time for Brother Kilgore. I'll tell you that much. All right. No, no, sir. Yeah. yeah, no, sir. I'm not. I'm not going down there yet. <laughs> You know, the point is, is that it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, I, I like getting back to that. And that's, that's what's happening with these rehearsals that we're doing. I, I, I made it my point or made it a point to have those rehearsals like that so that we could grow just playing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and feeling the dirt, feeling the grease, the lean, so you make a mistake. Good. Make another one. That was actually a good mistake. Let's right, right. No, let's all go with that. Yeah, exactly. I, that, thank God, man. Jesus, God. It's yeah. exactly. <clears throat> By the way, I just want to say, um, I, uh, I'm sure you're hip to this, but I, I walked into a um, bookstore a few months ago, and um, a couple of the younger cats, <laughs> vinyl enthusiasts, had uh, reissued, or actually, I'm sorry, they, yeah, they reissued a bunch of. Uh, early seventies blue note, uh, you know, uh, you know, Columbia stuff, Miles stuff, but, but, but a lot of Donald Byrd. And one of the things that came out that was never released was the epic Montro 73 show with the skipper and you. And I mean, it is, you want to talk about a greasy duck bone fried duck session i mean i that i i it's one of my favorite albums now man it's and you're killing it on there man, playing that james brown beat on blackbird man dude it never ends it just keeps going yeah man dude i'm just saying it was like really cool to hear cats that um you know when you that you put these sort of scrambled egg bands together you know that wasn't like a traditional unit so to speak but yet you guys just tore it up and it was just so beautiful but uh you know let, let, let's uh let, yeah i really would love to talk to you more sure. later off the air but uh you know uh 
It's it's great to hear your voice, man. It's much yeah, love to you, man. And I'll uh, I'll, yeah, I'll call you later. Okay, sounds man. good. Be cool, brother. I right, take care. Yeah, bye. At the tone, please record your message. When you finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Joe Hall, Jake Feinberg. Uh, we got an interview uh, right now, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, give me a call when you can, 520 275 2058.